We believe here as a church that we have the greatest, right, and truest story ever told. Amen? What is very important about this story, an important element, is prophecy. Prophecy is so important uh, to, to our story. Now, we've already we've heard it read, but to show you, the prophet Isaiah says this. This is in 740. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. That's 740, 700 B.C. He also says this, another famous prophecy. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? Prophecy, oracles, they forecast right, the future. And, and that's kind of the way we see it. I was thinking about this concept, and I actually went to the Bucks game on Monday night. And uh, we were watching the Bucks lose again, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, the guy behind me, I was watching the Falcons line up. And, and I, I heard him say, they got two tight ends. They're going to run it to the right. They're going to run it to the right. Get the linebacker over. And, of course, we didn't do that, and they went for like 10 yards first down, right? <laughs> He's like, great. All right? And I was like, wow, that, he saw it. Like, next, next play, he's like, oh, three, uh, three wide receivers, trip right. It's, it's a down and in. I know it. I know it's a down and in. And sure enough, Matt Ryan for the Falcons throws him a laser, catches it 15. He's like, I knew it. I saw it. I knew what they were going to do, right? And then it was another play, and he called it out. He's like, that's it. I'm going to get another beer, right? <laughs> and I was actually thinking, I'm like, man, this guy's good. I mean, he could see it. He could, he could predict the future, Right? Based upon what? Education and seeing games. He could predict or forecast what the Falcons were going to do against the Bucs defense. However, he did not have the actual play call that the offensive coordinator gave to Matt Ryan there, the quarterback for the Falcons. He didn't know it for sure. So he was predicting or forecasting what is to come. When Isaiah says these words, here's the difference. Our prophecy, which is so important, the oracles of Jesus... This is the word of the Lord coming to the prophets. It's not them taking an educated guess based upon information. It's they got the word of the Lord and boom, this is what is going to happen. So I want us to look at the three wise men again and what happens right after the three wise men come and give their gifts to Jesus. This is where we left off last Sunday. This is from Matthew chapter 2. After they had heard the king, this is referring to the wise men, after they had heard the king being King Herod, who's the evil king in in this story. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. So the three wise men. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Terod, they returned to their country by another route. And this is, this is the part, these few verses right here, are what I want to focus on. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, right? They're still in Bethlehem. In a dream, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt, Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So, what does a good dad do, Joseph? So he got up, took baby Jesus, the child, and his mother Mary, 
during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now, if you were to stop right there, oh, there it is. Here are the literal events that happened. But the next verse says this to us, and there's something, there's a backstory to this, and it's got, it's pregnant with meaning. I mean, you can just read a story. It's like a good movie that gives you an event and all of a sudden does a flashback and says, you know why that event means a ton? Because of all of this that happened back here. And that's exactly what Matthew sets up. He's a Jew. Imagine you're a a 12 or 13-year-old Hebrew boy. Imagine you're sitting in seventh period science class at Farnell or Davidson Middle School. Here's what you know. You have the first five books of the Bible probably memorized. And many of the prophets, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you probably have memorized as a 13-year-old boy. And you probably have a lot of the prophets. And here, all of a sudden, you hear this. Imagine this was told to you. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. If you're a 13-year-old boy and you knew the Bible, you knew the Old Testament, that would have sent up all kinds of like, wait, wait, out of Egypt, I know this. I know this. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Right here in this passage, here's what this means. This meant that something had been left undone. And Jesus was doing something right here to finish. There was something that had happened that had not been finished. It was left undone. And that's what this reference is. Because remember, I want you to look at this map. This is Jesus' birth and early life. If you look at the top point... In that little yellow, orange, yellow uh, first arrow. That's uh, where Mary and Joseph came from. They went down into Bethlehem, right? The red line starts right where what we just read. Because of the threat of Herod, they said, you know what? We are going to Egypt. And then we know after Herod dies, the green line says, this is where Jesus went back. After Herod had died, boom, they went back up into Nazareth, and that's where Jesus was raised, okay? So in, in your, your mind, as you're watching him, Okay, this is the context of Jesus. Now, where did I hear those words from again? Next slide. Oh, when, I, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And, same, out of Egypt, I called my son. Wait, this was 750 whatever years before. This is a different prophet, not Isaiah, but this is Hosea. Wait, what's going on here? What, what does out of Egypt mean? I, if you're a boy, you're thinking, I thought I knew what that meant. Because you would have memorized this one passage from Deuteronomy, where you heard the same words, out of Egypt. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and signs of wonder, which, of course, were the ten plagues. That's how they got him out of the slavery of Egypt. And so all of a sudden, you begin to think, if you're a boy, like, oh, what's going on? Does this story right here, because here's what I know about, there was the outstretched and mighty hand of God. My grandparents moved across the street from, from us uh, growing up when I was eight years old. And we lived on this road called Moran Road, and it wasn't a very, very trafficy road. But when I was eight, I went over across the street to my grandmother's house, and uh, she was making banana bread, which I loved, right? And it was just hot and butter and milk and g- gorgeousness, right? Everything. And my little brother, Timmy, was with me. And we finished. And um, it was one of the first few times that I actually took my bike and my little brother. Um, and I think my, maybe my mom had already come and taken us across the street. But she, she had already gone back over. And I told my grandpa, I said, 
I said, Grandpa, I'm going to go back over to the house, and I'm going to take Timmy with me. He's like, hey, man, be careful, right? And so I had my, I had my bike, and I was riding really slow because my little three-year-old brother Timmy was next to me. I had my banana seat with the big flag, you know, feeling strong, right? And, I, and it was about 4.35 o'clock-ish, I remember, because there was more cars. And it was, you know, only for only about two hours were there more cars. So we got up to the road and, um, you know, looked both ways. So I, I looked to the left, and you're supposed to look to the right and look to the left again, right? Or maybe it's right, left, right. And I was trying to do those things. Unbeknownst to me, my grandfather didn't feel comfortable, and he came up right behind me. And as I looked to the right, I'm like, okay, it's good. And there was a car coming, right? And I didn't see it. And I was about ready to go. And all of a sudden, I got this arm, right? The outstretched arm in the mighty hand of my grandfather. I said, nope. And he grabbed me, and then in turn, he grabbed my, my little brother, and he pulled us in, and my bike fell over. And he saved us, right? He saved us. And as I've read that verse, I've thought about my grandfather. But ultimately, what that did for Egypt was this. It took them out of slavery. Look at this map. This is the map of Moses. And if you'll notice, this map starts up here in Ramses. That's Egypt, right? Now remember, this is the book of Exodus. The book of Genesis ends with uh, Joseph going into Egypt. And here the question is, is, how is Moses going to lead the Israelites, the Israelites out of Egypt? And so if you follow that orange-yellow line down, you see two triangles. They're not actually sure exactly. It's probably one of the two where Mount Sinai was, right? Charlton Heston, Red Sea, right? Either one of those two places. And it was the power of God that did what? That got them out of Egypt. So why would they use Jesus' name with out of Egypt? Why would they do that? What, what, what is Matthew trying to communicate here? Well, when you look at this story, the story of the Exodus, which is out of Egypt, two main things are clear. Two clear, but very unfinished gifts. And this is what I want to focus on. There were two clear, but unfinished gifts that we got, that the Israelites got from coming out of Egypt. So let's go to the next slide. There one, there's, that's actually a picture of Charlton Heston, right? There. We got Moses. He was the hero. He was the, the, the Messiah figure that led them out of Egypt. And so here's Moses. And he leads them, the, the Red Sea parts. But what do we know about Moses? What happens? God tells them to do specific things like, hey, speak to that rock because your people are thirsty. And he's like, I'm not going to speak. I feel stupid if I speak. And he takes out his staff and he hits it and he disobeys the Lord. Like, wait, What? Why would you disobey the Lord? But he was still their hero. But what we know about that is the gift was unfinished. It was imperfect. The gift of Moses was a type of imperfect Messiah. But it was still part of the story. What's the, what is the other thing that we got? Well, God had never been present with his people before. And the gift of Mount Sinai was that, hey, when God said, okay, look, I'm going to actually come to you. And this is where we get the Ten Commandments. But he said, I want you to build me a little tent. That's called the tabernacle. Right? The Old Testament tabernacle. What do you have? You have a, in, the, in this left part of the tent, it's called the holy place. That is separated by a veil. In the holy of holies, that's where you kept the Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? It's the presence of God. But the veil, what? 
The veil, it, 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 uh, it veiled you from the presence of God. It separated you. You were close to it. And it was the first time that they had been around the presence of God. But they were separated from it. And so when you think about these two gifts of the Exodus being imperfect and unfinished, what does Christ have to do with these two gifts? Everything. I mean, Christ has everything to do with the two, these two gifts. Because ultimately, we see this for the first gift from Moses. Is that Christ, that's supposed to be a greater than symbol. Christ is actually greater than Moses. And Moses did get, peop, get the people out of Egypt but, Egypt. but Christ, right, he has come. And this is where I want you to think personally. For some of you right now, you are believing in a Moses. And what's the problem with believing in Moses? Moses was a man. Right? And Moses represents us. Believing in a man who is not God is going to let you down. Have you ever believed in yourself and you let yourself down? I have. Man, believe. Come on. Believe in yourself. Because that's what, that's what television tells us. That's what every movie tells us. Believe in yourself. If you'll just trust yourself, you will be the fully realized person you can be. And what we know, yeah, try that on for size over time. You will let yourself down because you can't be your own savior. And what what Christ is trying to tell you and try to tell me is this. I want to get you out of Egypt. And you're imprisoned to what? I mean, what types of things is our community imprisoned to? What type of Egypts do we have around us? Hey, you know what what I care about? It's it's man. It's man-centered. It's the safety of my kids. That's it. Just keep my kids safe, man. If, if my kids are safe, then I'm good. That is my, but you're in prison. Because if you don't have safe kids, what do you tell, what do you tell a, a unhealthy uh, kid? Or what do you tell his mom if you go to Moffitt and say, hey, your kid's contracted cancer? What do you tell that person if you don't have hope? If you don't have um, a savior, a true savior? What do you tell somebody? As a pastor, I'm there sometimes at, at people's deathbed. And they're thinking, I put myself, I put my whole hope in my life. And you know what? I got old. I don't really, I, I, you know. What do you tell somebody when they lose? The woman who loses her job. Right? The, the, the wise and very um, witty businesswoman who says, you know what, I don't have a consistency anymore of a paycheck. I just lost my job. That was my God. And, and what this passage tells us is, look, you are imprisoned. You are still in Egypt. And Jesus has come to tell you and to tell me, I've come to bring you out of Egypt. What if you experience all that this Christmas season has to offer and tomorrow afternoon, after all the presents are open, you're bored? Like you're like, hey, I was expecting a different feeling. And man, I was so excited to give this gift to my daughter or to my dad. And I don't feel the same. Like I feel kind of like, well, that's it? I'm kind of bored with this life. What, what, what is it? What if you experience all the pleasures over this next week of, you know, good old Ybor City, right? You go down there and you do a New Year's Eve extravaganza, man, and you live at La Vida Loca. And you wake up tomorrow, you know, the next morning, January 1st. And you're like, what? I mean, you are in prison. You are in prison to the next thing that gives you a rush. What if you think, 
My daughter's seven, and I know in 20 years, about 27, she's going to find out my past. And I'm going to have this, have this terrible conversation because I am what I did in the past. And you're imprisoned to your past sins. You don't talk about it, but you know when you're lying in bed at night, you think about it. What if you're thinking, what's, what is Monday? What does Tuesday have? To, I don't have any purpose in my life. I'm just kind of doing things. Christ says, look, I am your Messiah. I've come to free you from the bondage of Egypt. And, and I am the finished gift. So for some of you that don't know Christ, I think he's trying to say, hey, I want to bring you out of Egypt. You may not know you're in prison, but you really are. I want to bring you out of Egypt. That's the first gift. Second gift is this. And I'm not going long tonight at all, so I promise you. So I only have two points. This, Christ is greater than the tabernacle. What do you mean, Frank? Well, the word tabernacle, if you throw a 50-yard pass to the book of John, John 1.14 says this. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. What does dwelt mean in the, in the Greek, in the actual New Testament Greek? It's tabernacle. It's the exact word in Hebrew for tabernacle in the Greek. The word became flesh and he tabernacled with us. What does that mean? It means this, that the, the veil has been ripped. And where on Yom Kippur, if you only believe in the Old Testament, you still will celebrate Yom Kippur because that's the day of atonement. The one day out of the year, the high priest could walk into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices to God. But with Jesus, he says, no, no, you don't, we don't have tabernacle. I'm, I am. I am the embodiment of God. I am the perfect man and the perfect God. I humbled myself for you. you. And for some of us in this room, you know Jesus has brought you out of Egypt. Here's the problem. Christ is your Savior, but he wants to be present with you. And what a lot of us have is we still have a lot of Egypt left in us. Yeah, we may be out of Egypt. We may be, you know, not in bondage to Pharaoh or whatever it was. But now here's what he's saying to you and to me. I want to tabernacle with you. I want to get that Egypt out of you. And if we begin to live that way, I'm wondering, hey, you know what? If you're a seventh grade boy, if you're a fifth grade girl, you know what, I, you know what, I, you know what Egypt wants me to do? It, it just wants me to cheat, to copy homework, to cheat on tests. Because the only thing that matters is my dad's approval. I don't want to be true to my Lord because my dad's my God and my mom's my God, not God. But when God watches you cheat on that test, he says, no, no, no. I want to get that Egypt out of you. You've gotten out of Egypt. You have salvation. You're a member, right? But I want to take all of Egypt out of you. Here's what some of the Israelites said when they left Egypt. When they realized life was going to be hard, they said this. Oh, man, you know what? Can you send me back to Egypt? Because there, at least I got three squares a day. And I don't want to have to trust in God. Just take me back to Egypt because I get three squares a day. And, and I think what he's asking maybe some of you for uh, this afternoon is, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, gonna, um, I'm not going to have five beers. I'm going to have one beer. And I'm going to believe that I don't have to have that buzz or that I feel that way. I'm going to... I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna treat women with respect. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there in my mind, right? Um, I'm not gonna demand that my wife meets me in this way. You know, what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a different type of coach at Ed Radis. I'm gonna be a different type of soccer coach because Nirvana for me is not my son being that or my daughter being that. 
I don't have to have that same type of... And what Jesus wants to do for some of us is just get that Egypt out of us. We still live like slaves. And if Christ perfected or completed the tabernacle in that he uh, became flesh and dwelt among us, you know what we can do? We can stay in marriages. We can stay in marriages. And you know what we can have? The demand that we have for our husband to be a certain way stops being a demand. It's just a desire. And if your husband doesn't give it to you, you're like, okay, I can't demand it from him because I'm going to God for everything. I, I can stay. You know what I can do? I, I can go down to Metropolitan Ministries. And I want to be greedy, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be generous and give my time and my money away to this ministry. You know what? In my subdivision, I never say anything about the church that I go to because I feel so embarrassed. No one ever wants to talk about church at all. And I'm almost like, I almost just don't, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get that Egypt and that fear to be accepted out of me. And I'm just going to say it. And if they reject me, or if they start thinking I'm weird, are they really my friend, right? I'm going to, in fact, you know, I'm going to invite them to church. That step, these are steps of Egypt getting out of us. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to speak truth and love. I'm the guy that will just speak truth and I never have any love to my wife or to my son. I just tell them the way it is with no love. I'm going to speak truth and love. And you know what? Maybe I'm going to start actually speaking the truth because all I am is loving. And I never really tell the truth. In fact, I lie a lot. And I just say loving things when in my heart I know what I really believe. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that love. I'm going to add truth to it. Because that's what Paul tells us to do. What if we did that? What if for some of you, hey, it's time to get out of Egypt. And for others of you, here's what God's saying. I want to get Egypt out of you. I want to get Egypt out of you. What if Christ, right? The two gifts under the tree. Christ is greater than Moses. He's our Messiah. He gets us out of slavery. And Christ is our tabernacle, right? He gets Egypt out of us. What if we could do that? What if we could be a church that was committed to doing that? I think those are two gifts, right? Two gifts that we can look at uh, this Christmas Eve and say, all right, God, what do you have for me? I want to be the 13-year-old boy. I want to be the 11-year-old girl. I want to be the single mom, right? I want to be the, 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 the dad, and the father that you want me to be, get Egypt out of me or get me out of Egypt. Let's pray and ask that God would work in this. God, we thank you so much for a prophecy and that you said something would happen and it did and you went down into Egypt and you came out of Egypt and it fulfilled the words of Hosea. We thank you that, God, we don't have to trust in ourselves but we can trust in you. Take that. And apply that to our hearts, God. Apply that to tonight when we celebrate. Apply it to tomorrow morning when we're opening up all our gifts. Teach us, God, to be humble. And teach us to be courageous in your name. Amen.